Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the Ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah. So that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Chapelwood. It's good to be speaking with you all again today. As many of you know, I'm enrolled in seminary. And there's kind of a running joke in seminary that amongst all the papers and the lectures and all the classwork, that occasionally something spiritual will happen. <laughs> that occasionally among those dull academics that God will show up in a powerful way. And that's happened several times to me, and I would like to share one of those experiences with you today. And it all started with this text, this very strange text. And I want to give you a little bit of background about this text. I, I would venture to say that very few of you have heard a sermon preached on this text. But, so we'll see how it goes. So David, King David, had recently become king. And it was his desire to move the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, from where it was to Jerusalem, which was his new capital. And he thought he was doing God's work. He thought that's what God required. So it was, a, it was an act of piety for him. But it was also a good thing for him politically because it would allow him to consolidate his power in Jerusalem by combining political power and religious authority. And it was meant to be a joyous occasion. You saw they had the symbols, they had the music, the dancing, even David's out there dancing. But then, in a moment, the music stopped. 
and tragedy struck. They had the ark on this ox cart, and they must have hit a pothole or something because the ark started to shake a little bit. And Uzzah, who was one of David's men, probably without even thinking about what he was doing, he reached up with the best of intentions, mind you, he reached up to steady the ark. But when he touched the ark, he fell dead. Now, wait a minute. That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Does God really really act that way? And it made me think of a Far Side cartoon. (laughs) Oddly enough. I love the Far Side. Y'all remember this one? This one, this Far Side is entitled God at His Computer. And if you can't see the little button that God's about to push, it says smite. (laughs) And so God is about to smite this poor schlob by dropping a piano on his head. So again, I ask, is this how we think of God? Is this how God behaves? Is God just a really mean guy sitting at his computer with his finger hovering over the smite key? Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people in our world who believe exactly that, either consciously or unconsciously. But us, we're, we're Methodists. We're Christians. We believe God is love. So how can we reconcile the story of Uzzah with our beliefs about who God is? And I was taught in my Old Testament class that when you get stuck with a verse, a good technique to use is called word study. And word study is where you take a specific word or phrase and you go and look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew root of that word. Because y'all realize that the Old Testament was not written in English, right? (laughs) It was written in Hebrew. And there's a great resource where you can go look up any verse and it'll tell you what the Hebrew root is. And what you do is you take that and you look at wherever else that word occurs in the Old Testament. And by reading those verses, you can build up a sense of how that word operates, uh, some of the nuances around it, some of the connotations, and that can help you interpret the original verse. Okay? Let's try it. (laughs) So this was the verse in my class that we were really stuck on. It says, this is verse 8, David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah. Burst forth with an outburst. That seems like a strange way of saying that. He could have just said, the Lord had killed Uzzah. (laughs) It would have been a lot simpler. So why this burst forth with an outburst? So we looked up the original verse in Hebrew. So here's the verse in Hebrew. We can read that all together. Ready? (laughs) I will tell you 100% of what I know about Hebrew right now. Ready? You read it right to left, not left to right. (laughs) Ta-da! That's one year of seminary right there. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> nevertheless, you can look up the actual root word, which is this one, and the internet tells me it's pronounced peritz. All together, ready? Peritz. You have to roll your R like an Espanol. Ready? Peritz. Okay, got it? So, now we move forward. There are 16 places that peritz occurs in the Old Testament besides the one we're looking at today. And these are all of them. And unfortunately, we won't be able to go through all of them. I know you're disappointed. But we're only going to go through the highlighted ones. So the first one occurs in Nehemiah. It was reported to Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no breach, no peritz left in it. Seems pretty straightforward. We talk about a wall and a breach, a gap in a wall. Okay, that's straightforward. Next one. He breaks upon me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. This is from Job. And here we get the sense of an, an attacking army breaking through the lines, the defensive lines of their enemies. Okay, next one. David said, the Lord has broken through mine enemies before me like a bursting flood. So here we have that military analogy again, but added to that is this water imagery, like a bursting flood. Last one. Therefore, this, one, this iniquity shall become for you like a break, like a peritz in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose crash comes suddenly in an instant. Here we have the idea that a peritz is something that can happen just that fast. It's an imminent catastrophe. So putting all those together, bear with me here, this is kind of the mental image I get. So I want you to, to imagine with me that along the communion rail here, there's a wall, and it's 15 to 20 feet high, like way up there. And behind that wall, there's water, filled to the very tip top. And there's so much water, an ocean's worth of water. And here in the middle, the wall is starting to deteriorate. The wall is starting to bulge out. And the top rocks look a little unstable, like they're teetering a little bit. How are you people in the front row feeling? <laughs> So imagine what would happen if that wall collapsed, that center section collapsed, and all of that power in that water rushed through this sanctuary. We would all be swept away. And that's a peritz. It's not a happy word. It's a word of disaster, of violence. And I think we're running up against here, I think what we're running up against here is an Old Testament idea of God. That there's an idea that God is so majestic, he's so holy, so pure, that there must be a separation, there must be a wall between us and God. 
And think about that theology for a minute. What if that was the end of the story? What if God was up there and we're down here and there's nothing we can do? That would be a very bleak universe to live in. But again, as Methodists, we know that that's not the end of the story. Thank God. One more verse with Peritz. It says, Therefore, God said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, stood in the Peritz before him, to turn away his wrath from destroying them. And the story that he's talking about here is the story of the golden calf. Remember that story? Moses is on the mountain. He's received the the tablets that God has created of the Ten Commandments. And he comes down from the mountain, and what does he see? He sees the Israelites have made an idol, a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. Have you ever been so mad that you smashed some tablets to the ground? (laughs) Because that's how mad Moses was. He was furious. He smashes those tablets to the ground. And he feels a sense of betrayal, a sense of disappointment, but mainly anger, I think, mainly anger. But in the midst of that anger, what Moses does is remarkable. He turns and stands in the gap for the Israelites and says, No, Lord, don't destroy your people. And it works. Exodus 32 says, And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster he had planned to bring upon his people. So where this is going is this is, this has actually changed a little bit. It's changed from a story about Uzzah's death to a comparison between Moses and David. Moses stood in the breach and saved Israel. David didn't stand in the breach, and Uzzah died. And I think that's the point of this text, actually. I think what's going on here is this is a very subtle critique of David's leadership, of his spiritual leadership. It's almost as if the Old Testament writers are saying, you may be king, King David, but you're no Moses. You may be the king, but you're not a prophet. A true man of God would have stood in the gap for his people. He would have saved them. So why didn't David stand in the gap? Maybe he was distracted. Maybe it just happened too fast. Or maybe it was David's mixed motivations. You'll remember what I said earlier about David thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was doing God's work. But he was also helping his career. He was helping consolidate political power. Now, brothers and sisters, I wonder, does that ever happen in our life? Do we ever get in one of these win-win situations where we think, I can do something that God requires, and I can help myself? 
I think that might happen more often than we think. Maybe we do something nice for somebody, expecting them to do something nice for us in return. Maybe we give a big donation to some group, knowing our name will be on the donation list, and people will see that we've given that donation, and they'll think we're good people. There's a lot of different examples. I think for us, the lesson is that anytime we get in one of these win-win situations, that should raise a little red flag in our minds, and that should encourage us to reconsider our motivations. Now, Moses, on the other hand, did not have those mixed motivations. Moses could have very easily, it would have been better for Moses even, to stand aside. The Lord tells him to stand aside. But Moses doesn't. And the people of Israel, ooh, David still, I mean, Moses is still so mad at them. The Israelites, they could have deserved, they deserved what they got, or could have got. They didn't deserve grace. But despite that, despite all that, Moses stands in the gap. So if David isn't the new Moses, who is the new Moses? And I think if you think about what Moses did by standing in the gap, isn't that exactly what Christ does for us on the cross? Christ could have stood aside. He could have walked away. He could have left us with that wall of separation between us and God. But he didn't. And that's the central message of the gospel, is that wall is gone. That wall has been torn down. And we don't have to fear God's wrath anymore. So this is where in our word study, when I was in class, this was when I had my sort of aha moment. Because I was sitting there in class and I was thinking, we started with a story about violence and about alienation, seemingly random violence. But by studying, by digging into the text, we followed a thread through the Bible, and where did it lead? Straight to Jesus Christ and straight, straight to a story of God's unmerited grace and ultimately a story of reconciliation. And I sat there in class and just thought, wow, praise God. Meet Stephen Joseph, uh, sorry, Stephen Jones. He's a homeless man that lives in Manchester, England. And he was sleeping on Monday night outside the Manchester Arena when the terrorist bombing occurred that killed 22 people. And he's credited with when everyone else was running away from the arena, he ran towards it. And as people who were injured came streaming out, he would provide first aid. And he helped them. And he stayed with them until help arrived. 
I think this is a great example of what we're talking about. A story that started with a terrorist bombing, which is a quintessential story of alienation, of random violence. That story changed into something where there was a thread of grace, of unmerited grace. Because Stephen, he could have run away very easily. And I wondered, when I was reading about his story, I wondered if any of the people that he helped that night had earlier in the evening walked past him and not given him another thought, or maybe they thought, there's just another dirty homeless guy. But when it came down to it, when the rubber met the road, in that moment, Stephen was willing to stand in the peritz for his fellow man. And I would pray we would do the same. Amen.